Welcome to Change the Narrative. I'm your host, J.D. Fuller. I'm Susie Younger. An African-American licensed psychotherapist. I'm also a licensed therapist. We talk about the isms. We talk about the phobias. Anything that marginalizes and oppresses. As a white woman, I ask the questions white people are too afraid to ask. Everything we are not and everything we are is because of fear. Through a mental health lens, Susie and I will have difficult conversations with celebrity guests, political activists, and everyone in between. Our mind will tell us whatever we want to believe, but the truth lives in the body, and that's where change occurs. Are you ready to change the narrative? It is a special day. Why, you ask, in the words of Deborah Hyman? Because Deborah Hyman and her son, Max, are here to share their story, a story of truth, the story of adoption, addiction, pain, sadness, despair, anger, forgiveness, and ultimately redemption, recovery, and love. Deborah is an esteemed psychotherapist who has been practicing for over 40 years, specializing in substance abuse treatment, prevention, and intervention. Her 32-year-old son, Max, is an artist, a performer, a nature enthusiast, adventurer, and dreamer. Max has been through a lifetime of a chronic and debilitating relationship with alcoholism. Together, this mother and son have climbed the mountain of recovery. It felt impossible at times, but they've arrived up here, where the air is a little bit thinner and filled with the accomplishment of finding recovery to life, love, and a new and profound connection. Welcome, Deborah and Max. Thank you. Hello. So happy to have you both here and absolutely honored that you would both come on to share your story today. So I want to thank you again for being willing to do that. So Deb, I want you to talk about, let's go back. Let's go back to your anticipation and excitement that you and Jeff both had about adopting your first child. Can you talk a little bit about that? I can. It was thrilling on a level that it's hard to put words to because there aren't a lot of experiences in life like this. So there was a lot of anticipation. We had been in contact with Max's birth mother, who he knows very well throughout her pregnancy. So there was a lot of anticipatory excitement. And, but there was also a lot of gratitude for how Max and his birth mother came into our lives. So it, it all felt like this remarkable gift that was being bestowed on Jeff and me after I had been through a series of many profound and difficult pregnancy losses. So this was like amazing for us. Yeah, it was the first miracle because your friends actually connected you with Max's birth mother. Yes. Which is incredible in and of itself. Yeah. And what's also incredible is I had experienced my fifth pregnancy loss on a Wednesday. And I'll never forget it because it was, of course, devastating to both Jeff and me. And I remember turning to Jeff and for the very, very first time, I looked at him and I said, now we have to adopt because I can't do this anymore. I can't incur any more losses. And two days later, Two days later, my friend Laura, who I grew up with, who I had not seen or had contact with in 25 years, had a nanny, lived in Colorado, and her sister, who was a senior in high school, Max's birth mother, was pregnant, and she knew she wanted to place the baby for adoption, and Laura thought of me, and the rest is history. Excellent. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Max, 
When and what did you first understand about being adopted? When did I first understand? Right. What it meant to be adopted. That's a good question. I think I maybe started to understand maybe when I hit the double digits. Okay. Kind of like changed. Like I wasn't looking like my brother. It was more of like a physical um, awareness at first. Mm-hmm. And then I guess slowly I started noticing a little bit of difference, but I guess I, I first kind of understood it at the most, yeah, around like maybe 10 to 12, okay. I started to figure it out. And Deb, did you know anything about Max's bio family that drew concerns for you early on in the adoption process? You mean as we were adopting him before we right, brought just, him home? Right, right. No, no, not at all. Deb, what was it like to have that conversation with Max about adoption and how he was chosen? Well, you know, I I don't know everything that he remembers or doesn't, but forever, from the time he was a toddler, he knew he was adopted, although we did not use the word you're adopted because, of course, that would mean nothing to a Mm three-year-old. So I would say things to him like, you grew in another mommy's belly, but... I remember this was like a, for me, an important moment. We were sitting on the steps in the kitchen. I'll never forget it. I think you were about six years old, at most seven. And somehow you had asked a question about being adopted. And I was saying, you know, well, you know, you grew in another mommy's belly and then, you know, she wasn't able to take care of you. So she gave you to dad and me. And then I said to you, I said, but I want to make sure you know something, Max. I said, your birth mother did not just hand you over to anyone. She made sure that she handed you over to the best mommy and daddy in the whole wide world. And I remember seeing the look on your face. And at least in that moment, it was a, it was a feeling of peace. Like, oh, mm-hmm. okay. You seem to have in that moment been um, comforted by me assuring you that you were with the right people, um, so to speak. Um, So that's my memory of it just being peppered throughout. But of course, you know, when he reached, you know, 10 or 11, it was more, you know, conscious for him, I guess. Sure. Yeah. So Max, talk about being the firstborn, being adopted and any of the challenges that may have come about with both of these roles, so to speak. Oh, wow. You're really rolling with the punches here. All right. Uh, uh, Just small questions. That's all. That's all we do here. I love it. It's good. What it was like, I felt a little bit of pressure, but I mean, I think it was pretty easy for me. Like when I was younger, like up to, I think that age, like around 12 or so, like uh, things were very simple for me. I I got along with people, like uh, people in school with family, Things were very light and easy. I believe Sam and I had a, Sam's my brother, had a, um, you know, a a decent relationship, you know, like there was a relationship, I should say. It was nice. Whether or not like being the oldest has had much like effect on me when I was young wasn't too much there. I just knew we both had different interests and were very close uh, at age. And kind of worked off of each other, it seemed, a little bit. That's a great way to put it. (laughs) Yeah. I like that. (laughs) Deb, when did you sense that Max's life was heading in the wrong direction? And can you, and and about feeling, sort of feeling powerless 
think that's the best way to put it. I sensed the shift in seventh grade. By the time he was in eighth grade, I knew we were in trouble. I knew a lot was not right or good. I didn't know exactly what was not right or good, but I knew things were bad. More on that? Well, you know, he just started to be very distant and kind of disassociate with us. Okay. Yeah, he didn't want to identify as us being his family, him being our family, me being his mother, Jeff being his father. He just, I'm sorry, I'm speaking about you in the third person, Matt. Um, And his behavior in school became problematic. He, not just because he wasn't doing any schoolwork, quite frankly, that was the least of it. He had at one point run away from school and they didn't know where he was. And, you know, and, and that was very scary Mm -hmm. uh, when they called. So he was starting to act out more and more. Thank you. Max, did you ever become aware uh, of the fact that your life was becoming out of control, like on the way to becoming out of control before it became out of control? Not necessarily. I think if anything, I realized that like, you know, shit was going to be pretty confusing Mm -hmm. or I should, let me phrase it in a way like that. Uh, I felt as though I viewed things different than, than others. And that was about all I could recognize at that point. Okay. And so Deb, you and Max have always had this special connection and what did you have to change in your life in order to hold on to hope or to let go of it? Wow. That's a good question. And it's a big question because as Max and I agree, this has kind of been the last 20 years of his life, mm-hmm. you know, from around the time he was 12, it's kind of zigged and zagged mm-hmm. throughout the years. I was well aware by the time he was in his twenties, I was actively concerned about his alcohol use. And I started talking to him about it, not trying to convince him he was an alcoholic because that's not what you do, but kind of saying to him things like, I understand Max that you're an adult and you get to do whatever you want to do. But when you're with us, I just need you to not drink. You know, so I started to kind of draw those boundaries to let him know that I'm well aware of the fact that you get to do whatever you want to do, but I know you have a drinking problem. And when you're with us, I cannot be around it. So that was a bone of contention between Max and me because he didn't like that. I think he resented it because he wasn't walking around saying I'm an alcoholic and I have a problem. And then if we fast forward to the bitter end before Max got real treatment voluntarily. So through the years, through his 20s, it was a process of me, you know, he lived out in California. So he lived a distance. We didn't see him that much. Um, And when we did, it was not for extended periods of time. I was always worried about him. I was always, always worried about him. But I knew that there wasn't a lot I could do because he was an adult. Pause there. I'm going to have Max pick up. Max, you went to one rehab previously. Why did you not learn what you needed to learn then and there? Well, I wasn't taught it. I also was not ready. Honest. Thank you. So, Deb, for you as a mother of two, what was the effect on the family system? 
oh, it was profound. Mm. Yeah, it was profound. It, it affected me. It affected my husband, Jeff. I know it affected Sam, uh, not because he told me, my son, Sam, who's 14 months younger than Max, but just because how could it not? Is it all right with you, Max, if I share some incidents that happened? Go for it. When Max was in high school, he was 17. I don't know if he was a junior or a senior. But long story short, there was a big party in town and the cops got called and they called all the parents to come and get the kids because they didn't know what kids were drinking and which ones weren't. And they wanted to have the parents drive the cars home, et cetera, et cetera. Long story short, it was only a mile from our house and Jeff and I and Sam went to get Max in two different cars. And the end of the story is... It was at night and one of the cops looked in Max's car and he saw on the front console there was pot and right there and then he put the cuffs on Max in front of me. So I saw him getting arrested. And that was, that apparently was traumatic for me because we got home. I was in a state of shock that I did not even know I was in. And I know I was in a state of shock because I was in a room apparently just standing there and Sam walked in because Jeff had gone to the police station already with Max. And he kind of like, he didn't shake me hard, but he just kind of, he saw the state I was in and he, and I, I, I came out of it, you know, and, and I, then I just started to cry. And so, and Sam was probably 16 at the time. So I know it had a profound effect on him to watch his brother be arrested, to watch me fall apart. So those were the kinds of things that would happen. And then Max would come home from that experience and say nothing to us. Like, you know, when we got a lawyer, he didn't thank, thank us for getting a lawyer for him, when we had to take days off from work to go to court. There was not, it wasn't just that there was no appreciation. He was like annoyed with us. He was annoyed, you were annoyed with us. So that made it really difficult because it's like, what? And then by the second time he got arrested for pot again, uh, at that point I said, you're on your own. You get arrested another time. That's why they have uh, public defenders. We're done with that. I don't know if you remember me saying that to you, Max. Do you? Sure. I, I think something like that. Yeah, you were, you were a senior at that point in high school. And I said, okay, this is the last one. And now, you know, you get arrested again. Don't even call us. Yeah. Yeah. And that, you know, none of this was easy, but I knew I had to say those things and do those things. So, Max, what did your rock bottom and this past year look like for you? My rock bottom? Okay. Um, so when, when I talk, when I talk about like, I'll say like, you know, my bottom and, and quote it, can these people see me? Like if I do the quotes, is that a thing? Yeah, they can see you. Okay, cool. So when That's I talk great. about my bottom, um, mm-hmm. I generally refer to um, like a phrase that, not a phrase, but like a short little blurb that comes out of the Alcoholics Anonymous big book, which basically says something along the lines of like, there are no words to describe the amount of despair and loneliness that I have felt. It was as if there was quicksand surrounding me at all sides. Like I, uh, I had been defeated 
I had been overcome. Alcohol was my master. I'm paraphrasing. That's not exact. It's very easy for me to identify with, with those words. Physically, mentally, spiritually, I, I was at a point, I was, I was hopeless would be the best way to put it. A common way to describe an alcoholic at my point is hopeless. Um, I couldn't move. I couldn't see. Um, I don't even remember going to the bathroom. I remember pain, a lot of physical pain. It was difficult for me to really understand where, what, and why was the purpose of me still being alive. Um, and it's, uh, it, it's tough to kind of look, look back upon. What is incredibly profound is at the point where like, I could not imagine myself without alcohol and I could not imagine myself um, with it. Right. Something like that. Like it was one of these weird, weird things. And uh, I couldn't understand why I had to keep drinking. And so I did. You, you asked what my last year has been like, correct? Mm -hmm. My last year has been difficult. Uh, very emotional, very new. Um, it has been full of um, full of hope, um, as well as like a new understanding of why at that time of like my bottom, I uh, I had to drink. Um, and kind of like a whole new way of viewing the world is presenting itself to me that I have to learn how to accept and be grateful for. And a world that I don't want to escape from is becoming available to me. Um, beautiful. beautiful. I'm I'm slowly figuring it all out. (laughs) That's amazing. You have me fogging up my glasses. I can't even read what I'm writing. Um, Max, that, that last part. Wow. That hits me deep. That's really, really powerful. The gratitude watching your journey has been, there are no words. As Deb says, it's a miracle and it's incredibly impressive where you are right now. Definitely. Deb, are you with me? Cause I'm I'm dying. I'm always, I'm dying over here. Uh, I'm with you. I went easy on you. <laughs> no, it's it's very emotional. I know because you wanted me to still be able to talk afterwards. That's why I know. I know. <laughs> so, Max, when you were in the hospital, yeah, the last time, and it was so scary. Did you think you were going to come out of it where you are? I mean, it's so far from where you were. Did well, you have any idea? I mean, I know you had you started to have hope, but this much hope this was a lot of hope to get you where you are i had no idea when i first got to the hospital i was more in shock than anything that i was actually in a hospital um like the whole surrender part was bizarre 
I had no idea. I, I, I listened to doctors and nursing talking about it being very probable that I wouldn't wake up uh, after I fell asleep more than once having to sign uh, papers like in regards to that was kind of uh, again a shock i don't think the fear fully set in mm-hmm. until like i don't know a, a few weeks where i did start waking up and then slowly i guess i, I the hope came in a lot later but no i i had no idea what was going to happen to me mm. Uh, one thing stuck that a doctor said, two things, I guess, is that you are very sick. This is going to be a long road. And like, I didn't know really what he fully meant by that. Like, I guess, you know, the road that I'm on at the moment doesn't really have a, a, a ending destination. There were a few few different things there that um, I guess gave me a little light that, you know, I'd start waking up. but. Um, I don't know the mere fact that like I went to the hospital, not like practically at that point, fully blind, like in darkness in a wheelchair, less than a hundred pounds. Um, I didn't know. And frankly, like there were parts where I just was like, just let me die. Mm. And so, uh, it was, it was a very deep experience. Mm-hmm. Deb, I know you can't articulate what it was like for you, but if you can throw out a couple of words to see your firstborn like that, I I can just give me a second. Yeah. Yeah. So once we got Max here and he was in the hospital for three weeks and then in a nursing home for two weeks before he could even go to a rehab and he he's not wrong. I mean, it was he was at, he was literally at death's door. And we knew that even before he got to the hospital. And it was then that I knew what I had to do and what I could no longer do. And I knew that this was a thousand percent out of my hands. I knew that The only thing I could do was give Max up to the gods, the cosmos, whatever you want to call it, and pray and just pray. But, you know, there's certainly, and Max knows this because he and I have spoken about it. I had to get myself to the point where I was prepared to bury him because, you know, palliative care was coming to see him in the hospital. So that was completely overwhelming and devastating to me. I think I was probably numb through part of it, but I also knew what I just said, but I also knew that there was only one thing left for us to do for Max, if he even would ever want it to be done for him, which is, you know, rehab. Absent that, I knew that there was nothing left us to do or at least for me to do other than pray a lot and i was grieving him i was grieving him a lot it was very very painful and you chose not to have contact with Matt until he got to a place 
sort of of stability. Talk to us about that choice. No, that's a really good question. The good news is he didn't die. (laughs) Yes. The plus. Uh, (laughs) That's funny, Max. (laughs) He's he's a funny guy. He is a funny Uh, guy. (laughs) He's been making me laugh since he before he could talk. But anyway, I've been there. I think I know. I know. I know. Yeah, you were you were there every step of the way. Um, (laughs) Once he got out of the hospital and went into the nursing home, and he was there for, as I said, for two weeks. At that point, I think I knew he. Did you want to go for residential treatment or did you just say, what else am I going to do? I, I don't really know. I was just like, uh, kind of like a, a, in a whatever position. Yeah, yeah, yeah that, that's like, what I figured. I can't yeah. stay here. <laughs> right, right. So once he got home and Jeff was really the point person with Max, whether, whether he was in the hospital or the nursing home or once he got to rehab... And I felt that it was really important for me to pull back. And it was important to put Jeff on the front lines with Max and without going into all the gory details. But historically, you know, Max and I did always have a a very easy connection, rapport, you know, from day one, you know, we related a lot and there wasn't, I'm going to use the word reparative work to be done between Jeff and Max. And so there was an advantage of Jeff kind of being front and center with Max. But that aside, I needed to step back for my own self-protection because I was so vulnerable and so raw and so scared. I could barely breathe, like literally. I I could barely sleep, eat, breathe. And when he did ultimately first get to rehab, he was there, I guess, about a week or two. I did have one uh, Zoom session with him and his uh, counselor there. And he was very new there. But it was, I know, am I going on too long? No, no. Okay. Okay. So through all the 20 years, I had held an enormous amount of my own feelings in, abe- in abeyance, you know, of hurt dismay of anger toward Max because I didn't want to cross that line because I was his mother and I just was trying to be his mother. And anyway, I chose to have this session with the primary and sole intention to, for the first time in 20 years, finally say my piece. You know, I wanted to say all of the feelings I had harbored for so long of hurt and devastation and all the things that he had done or not done or said or not said that had really crushed me and et cetera, et cetera. So I did that. And once I did that, I felt like, okay, uh, now it's up to him to do whatever he wants to do with it. His therapist heard it. He heard it. Now. I'm done. Now it's up to him. And so for the duration of him being in treatment, I had no contact with him. My husband, Jeff did. And so of course I knew what was going on from Jeff and I was interested in hearing what was going on, but 
I felt like I had pulled back again, and, and I forgive me if I'm repeating myself. Firstly, to protect myself because I was too vulnerable. And secondly, I really felt in my heart that if Max was ever going to make it for himself, he had to do it independently of his mother, me. You know, he's a grown man. He had to find his way. And all I could do, I, and I felt like my praying for him, I really personally felt like I was doing something. And I not only felt like I was doing something, I really believed that was not only the best thing I could be doing for him, but it was the only thing at that point I could be doing for him. Max, what was it like when your mom chose to disconnect at that point? It was confusing at first. Mm-hmm. Can continued to be confusing for, for a while. I felt lightly ab- abandoned. I just wasn't really sure her reasoning behind it other than what I could gather from that Zoom meeting that that we had, which where she she shared her piece. And my mom knows how to share her piece. And um, (laughs) well, it was real, which is I mean, she's real. She's a real person. She says (laughs) it how it is. I think after that, like I just understood that I needed there was something there that I didn't understand that I just needed to give as much time as I could to figure it out I just had to uh, just continue to try to move forward like I knew the sun was going to rise in the morning and it was going to set in the afternoon maybe one of those days I would fucking get it Yeah, that's great. What have you learned about each other during this long journey and the process of this last year? What have you learned about each other? Deb, you want to go first? So what did I learn about Max? I mean, I, I don't know that I learned so much as, you know, who you are today, Max, and you and I have talked about this, is who you were when you were 10, 11, and 12. Up mm. until you were 10, you know, a give or take 10, 11, or 12, you were that person. So I feel like you've picked up where you left off, kind of, um, if that yeah, makes sense. Pardon me? Yep. Yeah. And so I know you. And so like an example, as I just alluded, you know, laughter. So Max has always been an extremely entertaining person. And yes. And so like every day I would have this pile of clothes that they could play with every day from the time he was about two and a half. I didn't know who was going to come down the stairs. He would put on an outfit and and he would become whatever that was. And I, I just, he just had me laughing all the time. So that of course stopped when he was around 10, 11 or 12. I don't think he ever made me laugh again until fast forward to today, you know, and now, you know, we zoom a lot and stuff and I've seen him, of course, all he does is make me laugh. <laughs> you know, he's, you know, <laughs> what I found funny about him when he was three, five, ten, 
It's exactly the same thing that's funny about him today. It's the way he says things. It's his timing. It's just everything. So that's just an example of, you know, what I knew. If there's anything that surprises me that I'm learning about Max, and it's that I'm... I always believed in you and knew everything you had going for you. And I, and I knew, you know, you just, you know, just had so much where you are, not just today within yourself, but I, I don't know, you have this deep, rich understanding of everything you're learning but you also have a language for it that I never heard you access before. And maybe it's because you're learning new language, you know, or I don't know. Well, you can talk about it, but it's like when you write me or text me or email me or when we talk, you know, or, or you'll text dad or email dad, we read some stuff you write and we look at each other and we say, who is this person <laughs> because you never wrote like that <laughs> you you never used those words before and it's like what <laughs> i guess i'm asking <laughs> so, so wait b- before we go there max i want to hear what you learned about mom in this process oh, okay uh, let's see what i learned about mom well very similar to as she described i mean there was a certain foundation that was established throughout my younger years that that we have that i'll say stopped kind of or at least was put on a hold like synchronous like synced up enough as when i started drinking which was like around 12 or so there was this big hold in time during our our the past year and a half i i think if anything i'm learning that i know very little about my mom about you mom like when it comes to specifics maybe motives towards things that would be that would be a big one i have a light idea of what makes your clock tick (laughs) and that light idea is actually like very encompassing of like the the whole personality thing she's got going on which is quite wonderful um and easy to connect with and talk and share i'm just relearning how I, i guess to connect with that if i'm learning anything i'm learning that i need to learn a lot more about this wonderful woman that's perfect max i want to shift gears a little bit to have you talk to people who are in this struggle what are some of the most common pitfalls that you see people have when trying to figure out their addiction okay when when trying to figure out their addiction yeah. So like, you know, more, more importantly, when they're trying to figure out the road to recovery, you know, what, what are the, what are the traps? What do people fall into? Okay. I'll say like a, a top one is thinking that they are, or someone is the phrase would be terminally unique 
<laughs> Something I've come to recognize is addict behaviors are addict behaviors, and they can be written in a book, which they are. <laughs> and millions of people have been able to identify and uh, relate with struggles and more so emotional or feelings through those struggles. Mm -hmm. And um, I think one, a, a hard barrier to break through is realizing that we're not alone. Uh, and we're not alone, whether there is no person around us or someone to talk to, which can also be a hard thing, but we are never alone. I think another really hard thing, we're very used to instant gratification, or at least trying to get somewhere fast and now and more. Whereas recovery takes time. Time takes time. Max, I'm going to add one that mom shared with me that she was just so profoundly moved by. And that was you being able to say, I want to make sure something she was giving you a compliment. And you said, I want to make sure that doesn't go to my ego. <laughs> and that, that's so amazing because that is huge part of recovery uh, from anything is, is oh, yeah. letting it feed your ego. And so you being able to share that with her was super powerful. So I wanted to add that in. Yeah. I, I think of the shit, you know, like <laughs> and that's gotten me in trouble. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, a lot of trouble where like, I thought that leads to something else. I was going to say where I thought I knew what was best for me and what was best for everyone. Every person, place, thing, situation. Like I'm the fucking God. Mm -hmm. It's not true. <laughs> not true. Thanks for thanks for uh, closing that loop for us. I had, you know, got to get that closure. In <laughs> not there, true. Like I, uh, it's important for me to understand and to recognize that I can't believe everything I think. Ah, oh, that's one of my favorite lines in therapy. Um, so yep. therapy, speaking of therapy, therapy has been a great big part of both of your journey. What would you say is an important reflection you each have from your own work um, in the course of this journey? Deb, you want to go first? One of the things I learned, and I'm pretty sure I shared this with you, Max, you know, there was a period of time when he was uh, in treatment. And I, I don't know if it's relevant to say Max uh, had the opportunity to stay in treatment for an extended period of time, which was a blessing for all of us. But anyway, and, and I, the only reason I mentioned that, quite frankly, is because the majority of people in this country cannot afford to go to rehab longer than the amount of time that their insurance will pay for, which is prototypically no more than 21 to 31 days. And I think Max will say that's not even close to enough time. I don't know. You said how many months were you there before you said it started to kick in for you, Max? Like two months, give or take. two and a half. Yeah. And that was just the beginning. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. There were like, little bits of like things that I would pick up and notice maybe 
but yeah. nothing before like a month and a half, two months, really. I was just like trying to breathe. Yeah. Yeah. So I just want to say that because, you know, it's, it's a blessing, but anyway, so the majority of the time he was in treatment, I was not in good shape. I, I think I, I know I shared this with Max. I know I shared this with you. I was saying to anybody who would listen, I can't ever imagine feeling unmitigated joy again. I was, you know, preparing myself for Max to die. I was just in a state of devastation. I thought, how can I ever laugh again and enjoy anything again? It was literally beyond me to fathom that. And through my work with my own therapist and just kind of sitting with those feelings and grieving for those months, something started to open up for me. And I think it's because I had done a substantial amount of grieving where little by little, I was starting to feel joy again and laughter. And I realized, and this is what I, I wound up saying to myself, that, you know, right now, as we are all sitting here, there's a, a baby being born and there's somebody being raped or murdered. There's beautiful, wonderful things happening every minute of every day. And there's horrific, horrible things happening every minute of every single day. And it's all part of the soup of life. And so I get to grieve my son and be heartbroken and at the same time feel the gratitude and joy for the things I, I have to feel gratitude and joy for. So after about six months, I was able to hold both of those things at the same time. And that for me was a, a little bit of a revelation. And it was also a relief because I was in a lot of pain, un, you know, unrelenting pain for many months that I couldn't see my way out of. Good. That's helpful. Thank you. And then I learned, and Max can talk about what he learned, but I learned amazing things about my son, Max, like wonderfully. Max, what did your therapeutic work look like? Like, what did you take from it? Just give us, give us a reflection that was really important for your work in your work. It was honest. Mm. And it was very honest. I was at a point where there was no need anymore to try to uh, present myself in a way that was false or fake. And it was incredibly beneficial to tell the truth, speak the truth, act truthfully. It was, it was very beneficial and created a relationship with my therapist who I saw uh, twice a week um, for close, close to 10 months. We, we developed a way to um, dig, I, I, I guess, into areas that I haven't been able to due to the fact that I was never honest in therapy mm -hmm. up until now. First, I want to say how much you both mean to me. You know, I love you to death. I wouldn't, there isn't a thing I wouldn't do for either one of you. And Max, watching you has been amazing. I feel a, a, a loss for words to express my gratitude that you made it through and you are where you are. And I love you so much. I hope you know that. <laughs> I do. I love you too, Dean. <laughs> Thank you. Um, <laughs> I want to give you the final word. <laughs> Max, I want to give you the final word. I want you to tell people what they need to know about this thing called recovery. What they need, what to, they know. need to know. 
What do they need to know to be where you are? They need to know it's possible. First of all, I can only speak from my experience you know, coming from a, uh, a bottom that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that there's a way out. Sometimes you just got to ask for help. Um, mm-hmm. I wouldn't be able to do this by myself. I've had family, friends. I've developed a, developed a connection with something that I cannot explain. It, it's, it's a very doable process. It's a very uncomfortable, doable process, but very worth it. You know, I, uh, I can wake up and um, be grateful. I can walk into a room and see good rather than pick apart everything that's wrong with it. Mm. Wow, yeah. that's powerful. It's a a beautiful life. I never thought I'd hear you say those words. I don't have anywhere else to go but to tell you how much I love you both. And and thank you so much. I just want to thank you so much profusely. I think it's an important time of the year to have a conversation like this. And I want to thank you both for being willing and open to do it and to share it, because hopefully it'll make a difference in someone's life. So that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to change the narrative. And thanks for helping to be a part of that. I just want to say uh, that the gratitude piece from my vantage point is essential for all of this. Um, You know, I've said this to you. I've said it to the people closest to me. You know, the fact that Max is sober obviously Mm -hmm. is a big deal. But quite frankly, that's kind of the least of it. Now, obviously, if he wasn't sober, everything else that followed very, couldn't have very happened. Very good point. I get that. <laughs> that one there. You know, it's like, you know, kind of crucial. <laughs> it's kind of... <laughs> <laughs> but, but Max going from where Max came from, literally at death's door, and I'm not being melodramatic, to where he is today, not just sober, but living the life he's living. It is a miracle. It is a miracle in my life, which, you know, as I said to Max, I know it's one day at a time. He knows it's one day at a time. It's always going to be one day at a time. But every day that he's here and that he's healthy, it's a good day for me. And it's And it's one that I will never, ever lose this enormous feeling of gratitude that I walk around with now. I'm like bursting with gratitude almost all the time because of you, Max. And again, not just because you're sober, but because of where you are within yourself and and how much I've missed you and how grateful I am that you're back in my life and that I'm back in your life and that I I look forward to seeing you and to zooming with you. And it's just been, I'm just consumed in gratitude. And so I just wanted to say that. Thank you both. Thank you so much. Max, we'll see you in another year to tell us all the great things you're doing at that time. Sounds great to me. I'll see you before then, however. I figured as much. Yeah. All right. I love you guys. All right. I love you. you. Bye, Bye, Susie. Thank you. Bye, everyone.
Thank you. JD and I want to thank our fabulous producers at I Am Music Group. And for all of you out there who want to do your own podcast, go to IamMusicGroup.com and the team will hit you back. And also leave us a review. Let us know what you think. Thank you for listening to Change the Narrative with JD Fuller.